Hey everybody, welcome back to the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, John Fitzpatrick, and joining me as always is my co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. How are we feeling today? Feeling great. A regular season win starting off the bat. This season is going well already. I mean, can't argue with that performance on Saturday. You, you, you know what? You can't, you're 100% right. Like, I think the game, again, Old Glory beat, Old Glory DC beat the Chicago Hounds by a score of 42-27. to 27. You couldn't ask for a better start to the season. We talked about this last week, about setting the tone. You can't let an expansion team come in week one, beat you at your own place, knowing that you've got a bye and then two big road games. So, like, I think the game exceeded expectations I was uh, maybe one of the only few in a couple of little direct messages where I confidently told everyone that Old Glory DC was going to win this match, and I got laughed out of the Twitter spaces, but sure enough, Old Glory DC won, so super excited about that. Alistair, you had the game, man. How how was the crowd? How was the noise? It looked good on TV, but I want to hear from you. Yeah, the crowd was pretty decent. It wasn't... I don't think it was breaking any records. It was maybe... 1500 1800 at, at the most um it was kind of hard to tell because there were a lot of people who were waiting in line for those new food trucks which were fantastic the food options there were just so much better um had myself a quesadilla and a lot of better <laughs> beer nice. options too it was great the players were hanging out on the concourse the ones who weren't playing and it was yeah. great to talk to them as well you know, that, that was something that I think, yeah, you know, we're just piggybacking off that for a moment there um, in interviews before the season started. Marcelo Blanco, who they brought in to kind of oversee business operations. I think that was one thing that they really wanted to do was elevate and heighten the game day experience. So whether that's new food options, beer options, the ability to interact with some of the players that weren't in the game, it sounded like. That all happened, and for the 1,500 and 1,800 fans, hey, mid-February in, in D.C., you know, the weather, the sun was out, so that helps, but I think a, um, I think a positive sign, right, that, uh, you know, that something great to build to, because the next match, next home match is until mid-March, and hopefully it's much warmer then. Yeah. They have warming tents as well, which, which oh. I saw a few people using, especially at halftime, warming up. Warming up with a cold beer and a quesadilla. That sounds like a good Saturday afternoon, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. Only disappointment, they didn't have the uh, hot chocolate truck, which they had they had last year. I went to a, I went to the uh, Nola Gold game last year, and that was mid March. And I brought my daughter Cece, and I think we went to the uh, hot chocolate stand at least two or three times during the game. <laughs> oh yeah, it's always a popular one. They sold out every time last year. <laughs> Well, good stuff. So let's talk a little bit more about um, what happened on Saturday. First, I want to start with some surprises in the match day 23. I know we went through it, and you had an excellent review of kind of your predictions versus kind of what happened. Take us through any maybe surprises um, from your match day 23 and what actually happened on Saturday. Yeah, so there were some pretty big differences. Suchin at hooker, Nick Suchin started over Facundo Gaddis, and that turned out to be a, a brilliant decision. I can't argue with, with how that, that one went. Um, Colin Gross, straight out of college, straight into the starting lineup. I mean, it was... I mean, it has to be said, Corey Daniel is currently injured. 
it seems to be a more minor one. He's going to be back by the time we play New York. Um, yeah. It was sort of more cautionary holding him back so he didn't make it worse. I figured, to talk about that, I figured that was probably the case, right? Like week one, then you've got the bye yeah. in round two. If there was something that happened at the end of you know that last preseason game or in between, why, why rush him out there, rest him? He's such an important cog for this machine that hold him out and, hey, give Colin a big starting opportunity, and dang, did he pay off there in the first two minutes. But, yeah. And we'll talk about that in a second there. But, uh, yeah, I was surprised when I saw Colin go in there, and I figured it had to be something injury-related. Yeah, yeah, it was. He probably would have been on the bench otherwise, but uh, mm-hmm. Junior South started over Penny Lasanga. I mean, I'm happy when either of them are on the field, and and Sao did a, a great job, so no arguments there. And then Fairman Martinez started at center over, I mean, over Willie Talatena, but Talatena would have been the 11th um, foreign player on the, the team, so it's not it makes sense why he was held out but then also over doug frazier so mm-hmm. and martinez again put in an excellent performance can't argue with that selection so yeah and you brought this i mean you did you brought this up last week when we talked about what we thought the match day 23 was going to be going into chicago um and Fermin martinez right he's domestic player gets that eligibility there which is key played really well um, maybe surprised not to see Doug Frazier in the match day 23. Wondering, you know, when we'll see Willie out there on the regular season. Again, we and we talked about this last week. It seems like that there's going to be a lot of options there in the back line. A lot of it's going to come down to that foreign player slot. But probably, if you're an Old Glory DC fan, you got to be excited about, again, the options that are there in the back line. The fact that you can leave a guy like Willie off the match day 23, a guy like Doug Frazier, because then you can bring him back in the next week. Like, again, exciting stuff. It's only it's only round one, but um, yeah. those are a couple of things that caught my eye when I didn't see those two guys in. Yeah, and I think part of that is just going to be the depth. When you've got, you've got so many good players and such good depth on, such quality depth on the old Glory mm-hmm. roster. I was talking to, to Willie Pelotena before the match, and he was, he played every minute for Old Glory. Every minute that Old Glory was playing, he was on the field doing stuff. So mm-hmm. last year, and that um, he was saying that he he didn't play in the NPC in the fall because he was just exhausted from the MLR season. It it really mm-hmm. took a toll on him because MLR yeah. plays very very physical rugby. The skills mm-hmm. might not be there, but physically were a lot more intense than even New Zealand rugby. So hmm. so for him, he, he his body just needed a break after after MLR last year. So and I think that's only gonna get more intense. Uh, we'll go into it later, but we play a really high energy style of rugby this year and you're gonna need players off the bench. You're gonna hmm. need to be switching players out. I don't think any Maybe Danny Tusitala. Maybe a couple of other players are going to be able to play every match 80 minutes, but I think everyone's going to need a break at some point or another. And so having the depth there at some point, Fairman Martinez will, he'll be, he'll get tired. His body will need a break and we'll Mm -hmm. be able to put Doug Frazier in there and not see a drop off in the level. And that's, 
it's great that we're in that position. And it seems like such a contrast compared to last season, right? Last season, I feel like there was a, a lack of quality depth, right? Like after that 55th, 60th minute, some of the starters are starting to come off. We're replacing them. There seemed like there was a, I hate to say it, a pretty big drop off. But this year, it yeah. seems like they've really built it out a bit more. There's quality depth. I'm excited for it. I think it showed um, in in round one against Chicago. Um, so let's talk about that. You know, we talked about the quality of depth for this season, which I think we definitely saw um, in, in round one. Um, but some other takeaways from you. What, from your eye, besides that, worked really well in first half, second half? Let's just run the gamut. What worked well in your mind? Yeah, so some individual players who looked great. Gross, as we said, on debut. 30 seconds in getting his first try in MLR it's a hell of a way to start your professional career what and an athletic over- play too sorry what yeah. an athletic play too right like Tuzi Tala gave him the kind of the offload he kind of had to go down the sideline and, and dive over kind of quick feed and in an, an athletic play from uh, from the lock I gotta say that was yeah. great and we saw him do a somersault in preseason he's he's a really athletic kid and it it showed it makes a difference. And he also put a lot of work in defensively. He was something like our, I think he was our third, put in the third most tackles of any player in that game. It's, he's really putting the work in, and that's impressive for someone straight out of college. I mean, he's had, what, six weeks of professional conditioning, and he's he's up to this level. It's, it's very impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the tackles because he had to replace a guy, Corey Daniel, who was one of the league leaders yeah. in tackles last season. In fact, may have been the, the number one in tackles, right? So big he shoes was. to fill yeah. defensively, right? And we talked about some of the defensive issues that the Oakley had last season. Again, early round one here, but it seemed like uh, they were pretty aggressive out there and the one thing that I want to talk about, and and Mark O'Keefe always scares me. Anytime he has the ball and he has room to run, oh, he's either yeah. going to run through you or through you or through you, right? Like, that's his style. Um, and it's fun to watch, right, if you cheer for him. But there were multiple times in the game when Old Glory DC fenders were just firing up off the ball. It's like he, he was basically flat-footed some of the times when he was catching the ball, which was fantastic to see, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, um, again, going back to it, Gross had to replace a guy who led the league in tackles last season, so it was good to see him fill in those shoes and and be one of the top um, tacklers uh, in the game. But continue. Who else stood out for you? I mean, Tusitala was back in form. Danny played a great game, just kept us going forward, kept the ball moving, and then that try where he just dodged his way around half a dozen Chicago players untouched for a score in the corner. It was just beautiful. It's just the sort of it's the sort of thing that you as a player you've either got the vision and for that or you don't and Danny has it and he he looked great. Well, it's it's funny bringing that up because I feel like any other scrum half in the league would try and that play and would get isolated, turn the ball over, and it'd be like, why did we do that? Like, why such a reckless play? But with Danny, it doesn't seem so reckless because you're confident that his footwork and his just he's got a nose for that try line. If he's within five meters, it's kind of like, hey, that's my ball. I'm going to put it in. 
Um, and that's what he did. And, it, and I went back and watched the play. If you saw the look <clears throat> on the defensive player, he tried to like reach back and grab him. His arm swung by, and then you just saw his, you saw him just like hang his head in defeat because he knew he just got worked over there by Danny. It was such a cool, such a great play, and um, always love seeing Danny get on the on the score sheet. Yeah. So a couple other players who I want to call out for just being great on defense, um, Lautaro Bavaro. I'm not sure how many people will have noticed him, but he was doing a ton of work in the background. He had the most tackles on the team. And there was one point where I specifically noticed it being in the stands and it was right in front of me and I could see it that he went to tackle a first guy and that player offloaded. And as an attacking player, that's exactly what you want. You want to draw in the player to get them to tackle you so that when you offload, the next guy is is home free. Except that Bavaro immediately switched to that tackling that second guy, and then that second guy had to offload, and Bavaro was immediately on the third guy taking him down. And it was, you know, for one player to essentially take three attacking players out of the play, it's huge. And it takes a lot of work, and he was just there. He just did not quit on taking down players. He could have just phoned it in and taken down the first guy and said, oh, well, I was already in the tackle, and... It's easy to make that justification to yourself mentally while you're playing, but he didn't. He he just went for it, and it was really cool to see. And then there were a couple of other moments where his, his experience really showed through, and especially after turnovers, he there was one turnover we got right on our own goal line. We, we stole it from them, and then he was the one to, to take it and run it out and passed off to someone who could keep it going and he just he just knows how to play and it comes from a lot of time spent playing in amateur leagues in Argentina but you just don't get even if you're a a great youngster there's nothing like having just played a lot of rugby in your time to to know what to do fair to say bravo bavaro Yep, we'll go with cheesy? that. <laughs> I'm all for the cheese. This is sports. You can't take yourself too seriously. That's right. That's right. Um, another player I wanted to bring up, uh, you talked about him, Furman Martinez, stepping in there at center. Um, great debut for Old Glory DC. Uh, what did you see in him in, 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 in the Chicago game? Yeah, well, for, again, put in a lot of tackles. Was defensively great. And then he also chased down a, a couple of the kicks, which is the sort of thing you expect your wingers to do, but he was on top of that, just really putting players under pressure. Um, and then he also had a couple of great runs. I think he had the most meters gained of any Old Glory player over the the match, and it was just one of those who was one of those guys who was everywhere, doing everything. He, he, you're right. From watching on on TV, it looked like he was all over the field. I had kept looking back. I was like, "Is that Furman again? Is that him out there?" Um, and it was. And you know, it's funny. You brought up tackles because um, you, you probably didn't see it because you were in the stands. But um, at halftime, they brought up you know the first half stats, and the numbers were pretty similar between Old Glory and Chicago in terms of possession and um, and you know in, in attacking zones. But the one thing that stood out was number of tackles made and Old Glory DC had about 25 more tackles than the Chicago Hounds did 
in round one. So I don't know if that was a reflection of just defensive effort, just being on top of guys or or, uh, Chicago's offense, and we can talk about them in a little bit. Maybe, you know, not a lot of cohesion and continuity first playing together. But, uh, I mean, that stat stood out because I don't quite remember the exact number, but it was a good 20 more tackles made than Chicago. Yeah. And DC made the the most tackles of any team and they had the highest tackle success rate of 93% success rate which is amazing anything over 90% is is great i mean we're talking la 2021 beginning of 2021 sort of quality of defense with that that success rate yeah. and they and i think it's because you got a lot of Chicago ball where they just didn't go forward. They would, they Old Glory would meet them at the gain line and they they would tackle dominantly. They weren't, you know, someone a team like Atlanta has a a very aggressive, fast line speed. They'll hit you behind the gain line, take you down, um, and that's one strategy. But Old Glory, they didn't go up that fast or do anything to really disrupt Chicago. They just made the tackles. And so I don't think Chicago got a line break the entire game because they couldn't, because Old Glory was just there and they would make the tackle and then Chicago would have to recycle it. And that leads to making a lot of tackles as old, uh, for your team. You know, as a defense, if you've got, if you're having to tackle every guy, but you're not really disrupting the other team's attack, it does mean you have to put in a lot of tackles. But if you can make those tackles, it means the other team can't go anywhere and eventually they have to do something like kick it or try and chip it through and that and you've won when you've made a team have to do something crazy to try and get some space that and to get some progress that's that's a win defensively you've made them do something that's not a good idea and now your backs can take it and you have possession and you can control the game and yeah it was it was great to see yeah Again, <clears throat> such a such a contrast between last year and this year. And again, it's only we keep saying oh, yeah. this. It's only round one. We said it last yep. week. You know, not to get too crazy. Again, it's only one game, but just the difference seems night and day on the defensive effort, or just the mindset, or their approach to the game. But again, exciting to see that. Um, hey, ninety three percent tackle rate. That's an A. I love it. I can't remember the last yeah. time I got an A in any subject. Maybe gym class. <laughs> That was years ago. But anyway, um, so talking about guys that were pests, and I'm glad this pest is on our team now um, because he was a pest when he was playing for New Zealand Sevens. But um, Kurt Baker, how about Kurt Baker, player coach, stepping in as a starter at fullback, scored a try. I mean, what were your thoughts on on, uh, Kurt Baker's performance? Uh, So influential. He just – it was his game. He was – he was putting in kicks, and some of his kicks went straight to touch, and he had a few mistakes here and there, but the whole game was just dictated by what he wanted to do with the ball, and he he had a 50-22, he had a really great run up the middle, I think set up by Tusitala. There was a bit where he had a great connection with John Rizzo, setting up John Rizzo for a great run down the sideline. He just... He's got that experience. He just knows what to do with the ball, knows what to do in every situation. He was yelling at all the other players, telling them where to be, what to do. It's 
he just knows so much and I'm hoping that our players can learn a lot from him because he's a player coach so you don't know how long he's gonna be on the field you don't know when he's going to say okay that was enough of that let me coach but the more games we can have him on the field the better yeah yeah, I agree. Ultimately, I, th- I feel like I th- if we can get as many minutes as we can out of out of, out of Kurt, that's fantastic over the course of the season. I think Chickenhawk ultimately probably slots in at 15. I think that combination probably works best. That's what I'm thinking. But I think the fact that Kurt Baker brings such a steady veteran presence to the backs, you know, when he scored the try, he was super excited. So for a player at his age to still get so you know, fired up and amped up about scoring tries when the guy has scored so many over the course of such an illustrious career. To me, that shows he's still got a passion and a fire for it, right? So can he continue to keep that lit into the rest of the back line? And I'm I'm willing to think that's going to happen. So super cool for Kurt to get a try in his MLR debut with Old Glory DC. I thought that was was really cool to see. And and you could tell the other players, when they saw him score, they were fired up too. The other players on, on Old Glory, right? Like Old Man Baker. Yeah. I hate to say Old Man Baker because that doesn't seem fair. But, you know, when you've played as much as he has, um, you know, most people at that point are like, you know, tip the cap, I'm done, I'm rested, I've had a, a great career. Kudos for him to, to, to trot on out to Loudoun County, Virginia, in mid-February, play some Major League Rugby with Old Glory DC and get a try. You got it. You love to see it. You just love yeah, to see it. So For sure. All right. You know, we can't be all rah, rah, rah on this podcast, although 99% of the time we will be. So I guess on the 1%, we do have to talk about, okay, things that need some work. Were there a couple of things out there that Old Glory DC needs to work on as they look into an early an early buy, round two buy, before, again, they go on the road against New York and New England. What were some things that um, needed some work or they didn't work too well in round one against Chicago? Yeah, it feels a bit like nitpicking, of course, because it's such a great win. (laughs) But they did slow down a bit towards the end. They only... They scored a couple... They scored most of their points in the first half and then had only a couple of tries in the second half. Um, They also let... Chicago have a bit more breathing room. Chicago started to make the game line a, a bit more often. They got a couple more tries, and I'm not really concerned about that, but it is something where you play such a high-effort style of defense where it just relies on guys being really eager, going up, making the tackles. It You do sort of wonder if if maybe teams that can push Old Glory a bit more than Chicago can is it going to become a trend where Old Glory falls off a little at the end of matches because they just get tired and the players did seem tired by the end of the match on the field is something to be to watch for I don't know I don't know that it'll be a problem but it's worth noting there also wasn't a lot of structure in the back still something that I mentioned after after the preseason matches I don't think it mattered our forwards can get such good for go forward ball that by the time he gets to the backs they can they can do fun things and we thrive so much on broken play and on turnovers and we can exploit mistakes so well that um, this season that it might not matter that our our backs don't have a lot of structure but I still noticed it they didn't I don't think we're using our backs to the fullest extent still I think that's fair. I think that's fair to say. Um, 
encouraged though that we were able to score 42 points and, and a few of that did come from some a lot of the play of, of the forge which is great and you know the backs certainly got involved in there but um you know if that is something that needs to be addressed and worked on i think there, there's time to do that um but yeah it definitely you'd love to see a little more dynamic play out there and you would hope you'd hopeful that you know those two preseason hit outs would have given them a little more maybe confidence in it but um it's hey. just a matter of tactics and yeah. structure. You, and yeah. they, it's not necessarily necessary. If you're going to thrive on broken play on on mistakes, and you can do that successfully, who cares whether you've got you've got structure in your backs? But right now there mm-hmm. is there isn't really structure, and it's not giving them. They're not getting anything from their tactics in the backs, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that if they if they ever get slowed down in the forwards, if they ever play a team that holds on to the ball well and doesn't give them those opportunities that's when you would need your backs to and you'd need tactically to have a game plan in the backs that can allow you to open things up yeah you know i wonder how much of that was um maybe just how chicago was trying to dictate the game right again not knowing too much about Again, we knew some of the players around Chicago, right? Like we, America's Rugby News, Brian Ray did a great breakdown of who was on the roster, and I'm, and I'm certain that Oklahoma DC had some type of advanced scouting and whatever to figure it out. But there were probably some question marks about how Chicago was going to play, and you know the weather conditions, if there was a little extra windy, how that all that was going to factor out to trying to field them out a little bit. Uh, so maybe it was a more of a um, conservative maybe game plan, you know, uh, round one just to try and get a feel for how Chicago was going to play. Um, but I don't know. But certainly something to keep our, our an eye on, um, particularly if, if if we're optimistic about how we can continue to build this momentum going into the season, knowing that we are going to be facing some teams that are going to have some really good defenses, right? New York, New England, right? We know that they're coming yeah. up here. Those are going to be on the road. Um, we're going to have to try and get some more um, tactically, a little more um, fun, loose. I don't know if that's the right words, but need a little bit something more from backs um, if we were going to put some points on the board, take the pressure off the, the forwards there a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, but moving on. Um, any, I hate to call out an individual player for not having a good game, but were there any players who maybe wasn't the best game or maybe we're playing out of position or something like that. Yeah. I thought Dabulis was a little shaky. I don't think it was his, his best day. There were a couple of times on under the high ball where he didn't, he didn't go for it as much as he could have. And I think it's a confidence thing. I mean, he's coming back mm-hmm. from being injured. He has not played a lot of rugby in the last eight, nine months or even longer. He's, and I think it's affecting him. I think he he doesn't look super certain, and he doesn't have that decisiveness that made him really good last year. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's a that's a bit of rust. I think that goes away. I think another. I think the bye week will help. It'll give him a chance to look over that game tape, see what he needs to do. The players around him will will help him get that confidence back. And I I think we'll see him return to his old form but it's worth noting that i would have hoped for a bit more from him yeah this time yeah yeah i i i, I you know i without knowing 
you know, what he was thinking. I got to imagine from the outside that could have maybe played a little bit into his performance, right? Again, you know, preseason is one thing, but regular season is totally different. Like, you kick it up a notch because the games, the, the results count here. Um, and certainly for Mike to come back after, you know, hey, a torn ACL, I'm pretty certain that's what it was, is, you know, in surgery, is a, is a major injury to the knee. Um and you can you can go as hard as you want in preseason, but the intensity is just different in in the regular season. So encouraged by the fact that while maybe wasn't his his best performance, I certainly think we're going to see better from Mike throughout the regular season. And it probably is a, a comfort level. And again, maybe I'm completely off base here, but I don't know if wing is the is the position where Mike really should be playing on Old Glory DC. Um, yeah, that's just me. But um, you know, I will again. We'll let the coaching staff and the tax coach figure out where they should place him. But he is a guy you just got to get out on the field. And if it is wing, fine. But, you know, love to see him fly at fullback too in, in certain spots. But uh, moving on from that, um, any any kind of surprises? Anything Did anything surprise you from the result? Uh, in some ways, I think the most surprising thing was how much wasn't surprising, how much of that we mm-hmm. saw in preseason. I yeah. mean, there's always the line that preseason doesn't matter, but I'm actually, I'm really coming to the conclusion that it does, you can tell a lot from preseason. The score yeah. doesn't matter, but how the teams play really, really does. And I thought Old Glory was very aggressive. They were, you could see the depth in preseason. You could see how they wanted to play, just making a lot of tackles and then taking their opportunities on attack. And I think it really showed through this time. I, All of that stuff that we talked about after those preseason matches, I think it all applied here. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it is funny. We keep saying preseason doesn't matter, but you're, you're absolutely right. Like if, if a team has a poor performance in preseason or hasn't really put it together yet i think it'll show in round one and uh, old glory dc i felt had a pretty strong preseason and it certainly looked like you know they carry that momentum moving forward into into round one and look this was a team last year who didn't have any issues scoring points and yes there was some changeover but there were some core pieces that were retained and hey man they dropped 42 points on chicago you know they were what one of only two teams to score forty points in in round one, and there were some definitely some big Weren't they results. The only ones? You're right. I'm sorry. They were the only ones. I thought uh, yeah. New England. They had 36, and Houston had 33. So you're right. They were the only team to put 42 to score 40 plus points in round one. Um, so, right? Yeah, yeah, we know they can score points. <laughs> yeah, scoring buckets. It's great. <laughs> um. So I guess, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Chicago, right? And again, this is a, a team in, a, in its first year, and people keep saying, ex, you know, this was an expansion team. But we know the players that they pulled from, right? This wasn't a Dallas situation where, you know, yeah. the, some teams, you know, they let a couple of guys available to get drafted, you know, in an expansion draft. The Austin Gilgronies and the LA, Gilte- LA Giltinis were two of the top teams in MLR and in the Western Conference last season. They're out of the league, obviously. We don't need to rehash all of that. But Chicago had a, a, essentially the pick of the litter with who they yeah. could get, you know? So they were missing a couple of pieces, right? We know that Billy Meeks, you know, the MLR center of the year the past two years was was not available. Visa issues, I don't know. Something's going on. He'll certainly 
be in Chicago at, at some point. There were some depth issues. But I guess what did you see from Chicago uh, from round one um, that you think may bode well for the team? Um, or were, were they just hyped too much because of that dispersal draft that they were able to take advantage of? Yeah, right now they, they look like a a discombobulated mess. Like they'll, uh, But I think they'll get there. They've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of... If they can clean up a lot of the mistakes, they they knocked the ball on a lot. They There were a lot of times where they were getting some good play and then they, they just made a mistake. And part of that's because Old Glory was making them. When you've got a defense that is g- tackling at a 93% success rate, then you have to it forces you to it doesn't give you anything easy and you ha- it forces you to go through all the phases and eventually you're going to make a mistake but at the same time there there were mistakes that they can clean up i think against defenses that aren't quite as frustrating as old glories they'll have a lot more success i think i thought Caleb Strum on the wing did a good job i thought you know O'Keefe like you say he's a scary one when he gets the ball he's going to tear up some some defenses in the league and i know they've got a bye week so it's going to i think that's going to be good for them it sucks to have a bye week right after you've lost but i think it we really showed them where their flaws are and Mm -hmm. i think they'll they'll have a lot to work on they'll have two weeks to work on it they'll come back it's basically another short preseason they've got Mm-hmm. here they'll hopefully get some of the players who are missing back in and i think they'll come out a much much better team in a couple weeks time i mean they yeah they have a, you just mentioned they have a buy in round two and then they have five straight home games talk about an opportunity to quote unquote right the ship or come back from a loss but you have an extra week to prepare for your next game at which are then our five straight games <clears throat> at SeatGeek Stadium just outside of Chicago, excuse me, with a heated field. I think what I'm most excited to see for Chicago, and particularly the fan base there in Chicago, is um, we know that San Diego Legion, that their awesome Snapdragon Stadium, set an MLR record with 11,423 fans. I think I nailed that number. But they set an MLR record. I'm curious to see, and I know it's going to be you know, early March in Chicago, but uh, will the Chicago fan base come out and potentially try and break an MLR record that was just set two weeks before? I don't know. We'll see. But everything I hear about the Chicago rugby community sounds like they are amped up for their hounds. So I'm, I'm interested to see if that's going to happen there. And I agree. I think Chicago is going to have a. I think they'll have a good team. I think they have a good squad. I think they'll have a decent season. I do think. Maybe the preseason hype was a little overblown because of all the players they oh, had yeah. to at their dispersal. But um, good luck, Chicago. We'll see you around. Thank you for taking the trek to Segra Field. But Old Glory DC is 1-0 right now, and I'm super amped up about that. <clears throat> AKP, let's talk, let's talk final thoughts on the game. We talked about things they could work on. Any concerns, injuries that the team is looking at going into this bye week and then ahead into into round three? Yeah. Corey Daniel obviously was, was out this week. He should be back for New okay. York, but nothing's ever certain. So keep an eye on that. Uh Jamma went down with a with an injury right at the end, you know, seventy eighth minute or whatever. 
holding his shoulder and then he came off. So hopefully that's nothing bad. He really, it did seem to be somewhat serious. So hopefully it's not too bad and hopefully he's recovered by New York as well. And I think Sal went off. I couldn't see whether he was injured, but he went off very early. So makes me think he might have been injured. Yeah, I I didn't get I didn't see um, Fanana Schultz come off just at the end there, and I want to go back and rewatch that that clip. That is a little concerning, you know. I guess from a depth perspective, I guess Fenton Coleman perhaps could could you could plug in at at number eight, unless you think there's someone else that would plug in there. Um, you know, Sal going off that was he took a couple. Of, I mean, he's a big guy and he runs, you know, he runs hard, right? Um, he took a couple of shots there that I think had him a little shaken up. I don't think it was too bad. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic that, you know, the buy that extra week of rest um, in round two, it'll be good to go for, for round three. Um, but, hey, you know, every team is going to have to deal with this. I think Chicago, Luke Cardi, their fly half, he was shaken up a little bit. I think he came off injured. Um, he pulled his you know, groin. So, making yeah, that's right, his groin. Conversion kick. Yeah. yeah. It's rough. He made the kick though. So, how about that banana kick that he had um, in oh, the first yeah. half? Did you see that, that from crazy. your vantage point? Yeah. I couldn't see that in the stands, but I went back and watched the game afterwards, and yeah, it's it, it doesn't it doesn't physically. How does that happen? Physics should have said nope. This is not possible. <laughs> but I, I it's worth noting there was a wind at Secra Field, and it was yeah. inconsistent, but. It was going that way, so maybe the wind just caught it and brought it right back into the post, but it felt yeah. like cheating. <laughs> Wind's always kind of been some, some issues there at the at the field. I don't know if because the trees don't cut it enough or they're up on a bluff a little bit, but... Um... It's because it's because the wind at, at ground level is completely different to the wind 10 meters up or whatever, so yeah. when as soon as you put a kick into the into the air... You don't know what it's going to do because the wind up there, because of the trees and the stands and everything, it it completely changes when you get up to those higher level stuff. So, so a box kick that goes right up into the air, you don't know where it's going to come down. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, it's crazy. Just those are the stuff you gotta you know be prepared for, and I guess that's why home field advantage makes a lot of sense sometimes because players, certainly the home field, um, home team knows about that. All right, we're going to move yeah. on to um, a couple of uh, this fun little segment here where we're going to pick our forward of the game, our back of the game, and then our play of the game. So, AKP, I'll let you go first. Who was your Old Glory DC forward of the game? As much as I want to go with Colin Gross in his debut, I'm going to have to go Lautaro Pavaro. Yeah. Just worked so hard, and you just love to see it. I wanted to go Colin Gross as well, um, but um, and I normally I would, but I'm gonna go have have to go with the hooker Nick Suchin, who who had such a great game um, yeah. in in his debut for the Old Glory DC, scoring a try there. That was awesome to see. He was my Old Glory DC forward of the game. So moving on to our back of the game, AKP. Who was your Old Glory DC back of the game? Again, seems crazy not to pick Kurt Baker, but Fairman Martinez just put in so much work and was everywhere, like we mentioned early in the podcast. So I've got to go Martinez. 
I like it. I like it. <clears throat> Excellent choice. I would go Danny Tusitala here, but I want to go with someone else that we haven't talked about really too much, who I thought had a had a steady good game in his first uh, regular season for Old Glory DC, and that's the Tito Diaz Bonilla. Had a couple conversions, was making stuff happen. I thought he distributed the ball really well, and I think just a, a, a steady presence there for Old Glory DC, uh, helping them, you know, turn drop 42 points on a Chicago team. I'm optimistic to see what he's going to be able to do um, later in the season when weather conditions are a little bit better, but Tito was my Old Glory DC back of the game. All right. Play of the game, AKP. What was your play of the game? I mean, how can you pick anything other than Gross's try it thirty seconds into the match? I mean, <laughs> just spectacular. It's spectacular because of the context. Him being a brand new player out of college, getting score on his debut, but also just a a thing of beauty. Chicago missed the the kickoff and then we recovered it and straight in a couple of I think a couple of phases and then straight in for the try and it was <laughs> oh it was beautiful from the stands so I back you 100% and in my mind that was play the game because I think that just set the tone and really just set the pace for how Oakland DC was going to play that game opportunistic bounce they jumped right on it they were quick to get the ball out Danny tried to make something happen the forwards were there in support kicked the ball out to him Colin Gross tiptoes down the line springs over dots it down I mean you couldn't ask for a better start to the game it happened so quickly and I think Old Glory DC maybe gave him a little extra spring in their step great way to start the match for me absolutely so early in the game but you know you would think okay two minutes into the game like come on how's that really going to affect the outcome of this game but I think it just showed that Old Glory DC was ready to play that game yeah and what a start what a start set the tone indeed um love to see it so that was my play of the game um as well all right, AKP, let's move into, uh, let's look ahead uh, to round two. And guess what? We talked about it. There's no game. Old Glory DC has uh, an early buy. A little funky, but, you know, that's just the way it goes. Um, if you're Old Glory DC, what's kind of, what's your focus in this extra week? Is it a lighter week? Are you game planning for New York? What are you trying to do here? I think you're going a little lighter. It's a high-intensity game style that Old Glory plays. You want to get some people back up to fitness you want to get players rested so that they're ready for new york we saw how much intensity that new york brings in the preseason and i imagine that'll only be double so doubly so for the regular season so try and get everyone back in shape get them healthy get them rested and get them psyched up for, for the next game yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think what's going to be interesting to see here uh, in round two, and we'll talk a little bit about um, our Eastern Conference opponents, but hey, folks, don't look now, but Old Glory DC is number two in the standings, just trailing uh, the New England Free Jacks. I think it's on point differential right now. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, so again, New England... They only gave up 12 points against Nola Gold, which I thought was kind of a surprising. I thought Nola Gold was going to put up a few more points, but they did not. But Oak Glory DC, of course, got the 
um, the bonus point win there. But you know, if we're just looking at what's going to happen um, in round two, you got the New York Iron Workers. They're taking on the Toronto Arrows. So certainly we're going to keep our eyes on that. But I think in my mind, the round two match that I'm most excited to watch is that San Diego Legion New England Free Jacks match uh, yeah. Sunday afternoon, which um, should be an entertaining uh, game to watch. Um, so we'll keep an eye on those games to dictate how things go in the Eastern Conference. And again, I'm not selling Rugby Atlanta short. They've got um, Seattle Seawolves. Um, so we'll keep an, an eye on that one as well. But hey, let's talk about it. Let's go. Um, let's talk about our quick fire round two picks for um, for round two here. Um, how'd we do last week? Uh, on our picks, I went five and one on my picks. I thought um, I picked the one I messed up was I thought Nola Golden was going to beat the New England Free Jacks, and watching that match, New England just completely outclassed um, New Orleans. I think New Orleans is still going to have a good squad, but uh, hey, New England rolled through that one and they looked pretty good. But round two, let's talk picks. Last week, I think I put you on the spot and made you go first on every single pick. So how about I'll go first? This time, let's start. I love a good Friday night game, even though it is 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, but I'll probably still stay up to watch it. Seattle Seawolves are at home hosting Rugby ATL. Both teams are 1-0. I think this could. I think this is going to be a, a, a close one. Um, rugby ATL, they, um, you know, a, a, a steady game, round one against Toronto. They know they've got a good defensive team. Uh, Seattle... I liked what I saw out of Jordan Chait, six for six from the tee, which was impressive. There, um, I'm gonna go. Seattle wins this one in a in a in a tight one. I think they win this one by like three. Yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Seattle by a bit more. I'm gonna say Seattle by, say seven. Mm. And then my my model, the the CMP, has yeah. Seattle by five points. Oh, interesting. And your model went six and zero, right? Yeah, the model was was six and zero. The only thing it got wrong was it underestimated how well the the favorites would do. Interesting. Talk about burying the lead. Your model went six and zero. I mean, you got to tout that thing, man. I got to take a look at that before I make my picks. Then <laughs> <laughs> it, it was unexpected, and that will that will average out over. That's a bit of a fluke. I'll admit it. Um, I was ex- there was only about eleven an eleven percent chance that there were going to be no upsets in week one, but here we are. Here we are. Here we are indeed. All right. So moving on. So our next game is uh, Saturday afternoon. Utah Warriors, their first home game at Zion's Bank Stadium. They're taking on the Dallas Jackals. Oh boy, um, Dallas. I think they're going to have an improved squad this year, um, but I still think this is another team that um, other clubs are going to is an opportunity to run up some points. And I think Utah is in a position here after losing to San Diego that they're going to want to be able to get, you know, that bonus point win. I like Utah in this one. And, yeah, I know Dallas, what, they only lost by maybe 20-some points, you know, but Houston was controlling that one. I think Utah tries to put up a big number on Dallas. I think it's this one's at least 20 points. I'll go 20-point victory for Utah. Yeah, 20 points sounds about right. Um, I want to be optimistic. I'm going to be a little more optimistic for Dallas. I'm going to say that it's in the high teens, say mm. 16, 18 points. 
Um, but the CMP is saying 24 points. So, has, because Utah at home and with Dallas being so bad, they, the model is just just selling out. Hey, home teams did pretty well in that in, in round one. I think the only home team that lost was uh, New Orleans. So um, maybe maybe the model is on to something. So let's talk another team that's playing at home. You got Friday, uh, sorry, Saturday night, Houston Sabercats at home hosting Nola Gold. Of course, Houston put up a number on Dallas, and, and Nola probably a disappointing performance in round one, considering I think a lot of people have very high expectations for New Orleans. I think this is going to be a, an interesting game. Um, I think New Orleans is going to have a bounce back effort. I don't think they're, I think they're going to score more points than 12 than they did in round one against New England. But I, I just think Houston's too, they're too strong of a team. I think that pack is, is pretty good. I think there's, there might be an injury to concern with Houston um, that we'll have to keep an, an eye on. Their, their dynamic center, Lewitz Vander Skyf, I think I pronounced his name correctly. He had a bunch of tries second half of last season. He had a try early in round one, but he came off early. We'll see if he plays. Uh, if he does play, I like Houston in this one. Uh, Houston, I think they probably win comfortably by 12. Yeah, I think it'll be a closer game than that. I think this will be an interesting test of how close the Eastern and Western conferences are. Uh, Houston, they looked great last week, but they were also playing Dallas. So I'm going to say that Houston does win, but it's only by five. Mm, Okay. And my model is saying by Houston by 17. So way more down on Nola than any of the rest of us. <laughs> Moving on, so we get two games on uh, on Sunday, spreading it out a little bit. Sunday afternoon, three p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The New York Ironworkers at their new field, Memorial Field, the refurbished field at Mount Vernon. There, they host the Tor- Toronto. Everyone makes fun of me. I say Toronto funny. That's just the way it is. So stick. Sorry, folks, but they play the Arrows. Okay, New York, of course. Um, let one kind of get away the scoreline there against Seattle Sunday night. Uh, Toronto, you know, they lost a close one to Rugby ATL. They just they didn't. You were, I think you nailed this. Um, if we go back to, to round one, you talked about how you thought Toronto, the arrows were going to struggle trying to score points, putting anything together. And I, they struggled, man. That offense just did not look good. Um, they lost 17 to 10 yeah. against rugby ETL. I guess they kept things close, which makes me think they're going to be in this game with New York, but I think New York pulls this one out. I'm going to go New York winning by, by at least seven there. I think they're going to want to have a, a good performance in front of a home crowd, um, and get into the win columns before a big, uh, match against the, um, uh, sorry, I think they're going to come back and, and get notch a win here in round two. Yeah. Toronto just doesn't. They haven't figured it out yet, and I think the problem is that their forwards aren't, their forwards can't really make any space for their backs, and so they've got good backs, but they just get shut down so easily because they don't have, they don't have any front football to work with or any space to work with, and it's unfortunate. And I think they might, I think they'll figure that out, and they'll figure out it out against some teams. I think that they'll put up some high scores, but uh, yeah, I think they lose this one by 
14. Mm. I don't mm. think they keep it close yep. either. I think yep. New York will walk all over them. And the model has New York by four, so. Four. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. And then uh, last game of round two, another Sunday afternoon one that um, we talked about. I'm excited this could be San Diego Legion against the New England Free Jacks. Both teams 1-0. and Both teams put up some, some big numbers. This one, <laughs> I'm going back and forth on this one. I'd love to see San Diego. I'd love to see San Diego win this one. I'd love to see them maybe set another MLR attendance record. Um, if they can at least get yeah. to, to 9,000, 10,000 fans again, that'd be awesome. Um, we'll see there. New England, um, they looked good against uh, New Orleans. And, you know, there's that whole traveling across the country thing. Is that going to affect the squad potentially here? I've been burnt by picking against New England in the past when traveling across the country. I like San Diego, but I think New England, they showed me something round one that uh, last season, again, I don't think last season was a fluke at all, but I think even if there was some turnover there, uh, Patros played well, the pack looked pretty good. I'm going to pick New England on this one to win by th- three. Ugh, New England by three. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to pick good. San Diego. I think San Diego looked really good against Utah. Well, the half of the match that I got to see. Yeah, I think New England looked good against NOLA, but they also looked... I could see some flaws there. I Ooh. felt like they were a little disorganized and they were just benefiting from the fact that NOLA is kind of a mess right now. So I think I think they have a tougher time against San Diego and... Mm-hmm. It's going to be very close. Honestly, could go either way. I'll say San Diego by three. My model has San Diego by two, which is oh. pretty much just home advantage. Yeah, yeah. Um, the model does take into account home field advantage. So even even a new stadium, points, that's saying they're <laughs> they're even they're they're dead even teams, and it's only because San Diego's at home that yeah that that they're even favored at all. So gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Well, exciting stuff for for round two and Old Glory DC, and fans can sit back and and watch it and and cheer on the other teams and as our boys rest up for a pivotal match in round three. And of course, we'll be back to talk before round three. But a lot of exciting rugby on this weekend. I mean, take your pick. You've got MLR. You've got Six Nations going on. Super Rugby has come back. LA Sevens this weekend. I don't know if I have time to watch any of this. I'm hopeful I'll be able to watch some of this but um akp any final thoughts here before we close this out no i mean <laughs> go old glory dc great way to start the season i could get used to winning by 15 points every week i could get used to being up by 24 and the team getting to turn off a little and giving up tries late in the game and just not really caring it's it was so much fun to be in those stands I think we get, I think attendance will improve as we get into the, the warmer weeks and people realize that Old Glory is good this year and fun. Because that was the thing. It wasn't even just the winning and the scoring. It's We're so fun to watch. Exciting mm. things mm-hmm. happen. And we don't have as many of the, the dumb mistakes that we had last year. So it's it just makes you feel good watching Old Glory this year. Love. And I'm so excited. 
Well, we are definitely drinking the Kool-Aid over here, and why not? After a win like that against the Chicago Hounds, we're excited here at Glorious Rugby Podcast. And I think, you know, I don't think this played a factor into it, but certainly Old Glory got the Glorious Rugby bump because every time we record, Old Glory seems to win. So we're just going to have to keep recording so they keep on winning and they can thank us later. But for AKP, I am, for Alistair Kirschpool, I am John Fitzpatrick. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week. Let's all let's go, Old Glory DC. Go, Old Glory. <laughs> <laughs>